Ephesians chapter 1. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were first the hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, to hope, know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of God. Book of Ephesians, and it's just a wonderful book. I love this book, and uh, uh, someday maybe we'll take a detailed look, but today we're just taking sort of the, the flyover view of this, this whole book. And we, we saw in this book, as, uh, as, we, as we begin looking at it, that Jesus didn't die only to save sinners. He died to create a new community, and this is God's plan for the universe. I've said that over several times. I just kind of want you to fix it in your mind, that Jesus didn't die only to save sinners. He died to create a new community, and this is God's plan for the universe. Now, the kinds of churches I've gone to most of my life, and probably most of you have gone to most of your life, really stress that first point, that Jesus died to save sinners, that he died to save individuals. We're, we preach a message of salvation, and there's Nothing wrong with that message. It's a wonderful message, and each one of us needs to individually respond to Jesus and accept him into our life, um, and then we become part of his family, our sins are forgiven, and we're placed with him forever. There's nothing wrong with that message. The only thing wrong with that message is that it's not the whole story. There's more to the story than just that. Didn't, Jesus didn't die so each of us only so that each of us could have an individual relationship with God. He died, secondly, to create a new community. And we've been looking in the last couple of weeks about um, what kind of community it is that he has come to, um, um, uh, come to build for us. He died to create a new community, a community of faith and love and hope. And so we call ourselves Ecclesia, 
A community of faith and love and hope. We're called to faith in Christ, love for one another, and to bring the message of hope for the world. Now, today we're going to take a look at this third part of this, and hopefully we'll just kind of get through this, and this is just sort of an introduction to this idea. We'll come at it more maybe at another time. But what the question to ask ourselves, and you can put this up there, Kurt, is what is God's plan for the universe? We know he wants to save us and bring us a relationship with him. We know he's created us as a community, but we want to ask ourselves a question. How does this story end? Where's this story going? Is it going somewhere? You know, there are some faiths and some worldviews that don't see the world as going anywhere in particular, simply other than maybe around in circles, just keeps coming back to the same place. We want to see that the story's going somewhere. Is this story going somewhere? Many people, even Christians, have not thought clearly about where is this story going? How does it end up? What is its climax? You know? We're going to think about that this morning, and I hope you find it as exciting as I do, because I will confess to you that I have been a Christian for most all of my life, and I've never really thought clearly until the past year or so about where this story is going. Even as far as I saw the story, I didn't see it far enough. And my guess is that even you who are devout Christians here today have not thought far enough into this story. So consequently, we're finished, we're we're operating with an unfinished look at the end. So today we're gonna look at that. Well, how does this story end? How does the story end? There's a variety of uh, ideas and alternatives out there about you know how the story ends, um, but how does this um, story end. Does it end, for example, in the reversal of the Big Bang? In what it, you know, we, the, the, from a scientific or secularistic point of view, the universe began as a bang in ages gone, and there are different ideas about how that happened. And it's you know, it's a ball of energy, and somewhere it's going to have to end. You know, how is it going to end? And those of you who are scientists could tell me more about how all this is. I don't know exactly how it all works, but there are those who speculate that it will end in a big crunch or a big chill, or a big rip. Those are three different ways of, as, as the universe continues to expand, ultimately it will just uh, gravitationally pull onto itself and, and crunch up together. Or it will get so uh, uh, cold that it will just freeze out of existence, or, or a big rip. I don't even know what all those things mean, but, um, but in any case, does, it simp- does the universe simply run out of gas, or expire, or explode? Is that how this story ends? That's what most of us have been taught in school. That's how this story ends. Well, the answer is no. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that the universe just sort of expires into nothingness. Well, secondly, does the universe, does this story end in nirvana, in nothingness, in extinction, in enlightenment, in the breaking of the endless cycle of reincarnation? This is what, by and large, Eastern religions teach, that the world is in this circle and and we we want to sort of escape it in circles of reincarnation, perhaps, and ultimately we escape it by ending in nirvana, which can be translated extinction or sometimes enlightenment, enlightenment or nothingness. Now, again, I'm not an expert in this point of view, but you see it's sort of a cyclical version of the universe, and it doesn't have a goal that it's going to. It simply goes to... Enlightenment, whatever that means, into nirvana. Is that what the, how this story ends? No. 
according to what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach a cyclical view of history, but rather a linear view of history that is going somewhere. It's a plot with an ending. It's got a place that it's going, and, and things move towards a climax. Well, thirdly, does it end? Does the story end in a garden of eternal bliss filled with sensual and sexual pleasures? Mmm. With a plethora, excuse me for saying this, of young women for men. This is what is one of the key teachings of the Islamic view of the eternal state, a paradise, a place of sensual pleasure, and sexual pleasure as well. And all that that would imply for you if you're lucky enough to be a man. (laughs) Is that what the Bible teaches? Is that what we believe? No, that's not what the Bible teaches about where this story is going. It's not going to that kind of place in that kind of time with that kind of experience. Well, let's take one more question. You might like this one. Does our story end in heaven with the souls who trusted Jesus enjoying his presence forever? Is that how our story ends? That when this life ends, when we breathe our last in this body, our spirit goes to, and our soul goes to be with Jesus, and we spend the rest of eternity with Jesus in heaven, enjoying his presence in a spiritual existence. Do we live the rest of our life in heaven? Surprisingly, no. The Bible teaches something deeper, grander, more beautiful, bigger, more exciting, more wonderful than that. And surprisingly, I never thought much about it because I was taught to place my trust in Jesus. And then when I died, I would do what? I would go to heaven. And you will. But that's not the end of the story. There's still another act to come. There's something beyond just enjoying the presence of God in a bodiless, ethereal eternity. There's something more than that. So if, seven, if heaven has sometimes sounded a little bit boring to you, good for you, because that's not the end of the story. Today, we're going to take a look at what the Bible does teach. What does the Bible teach? And, and we're going to do a little bit kind of a... I, I, I hesitate to do this because I know a lot of you are not able to bring Bibles, but um, a little bit of Bible study as you think about this. How does this story end? Well, let me just say it in a word. The story ends with us in resurrected bodies living on a resurrected earth for eternity, forever, forever. Just as when Jesus died, he was resurrected from the dead and came back to life and did not just become a ghost, a spirit, but rather a body that the scriptures tell us clearly he could eat, he could walk, he could talk, and he said, touch my hands, touch my hands. Now, I spent a lot of my time thinking that what Jesus did, he sort of pretended to have a body for that. You came in that appearance. That's not what the Bible teaches He was resurrected into a glorified body. And he has that body still today. 
In that same way, when we die, our spirits, yes, go to be with God. But we will one day receive our glorified, resurrected body. And it will come at the last day. And that glorified body needs a place to live. And that glorified body will live in a glorified place, which is this earth, the new earth made new. You see, God began a project in Genesis when he created humanity and breathed into men and a woman the breath of life. And man became a living soul. God, he became a living being when spirit got united with body and he was raised. And fellowship occurred there in the Garden of Eden. Oneness. And it was a garden of delights and a place. And, and a project was given to man to cultivate, to care for. The word for cultivate is the word for culture. They're the same root word. So we're not to assume that and we're, we're supposed to fill the earth and multiply on the earth. We're not to assume that what he meant was become just a nation of gardeners, a world full of gardeners, but we were to create beauty on this earth which God had created. But somewhere early in that story, it got stopped when God's story was superimposed by an evil story which said you can't trust God, you'd be better off without him, go and create your own story. Make up your own mind. And in that day, a death happened for us that heaven and earth, which were united together, heaven describes the rule of God, the place where God reigns. Heaven is not some far away place over there that you could find in a telescope, right? There was a fracture, a divorce, a breakup that happened between heaven and earth, and there was a distance between God and man, okay? And so we began on our own to develop culture and build our own cities. And God someday is going to bring restoration to us. And he will complete the project that was began in the Garden of Eden when fundamentally at the end of time, when the Lord will come back and reestablish a new heaven and a new earth. Listen to Revelation chapter 21. There's so many texts that could teach this to us. But what does Revelation 21 say to us? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. Where is he going to live with us? On the new earth. And I heard a voice, uh, they will be his people, and God himself will be with him, and they will be their God. He will wipe every tear, no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for that old order of things has passed away. See, God is, in the same way that Jesus died and was resurrected, death comes, yes. Death comes to this earth, but it is resurrected into a new earth, a new heaven and earth. We will receive new bodies. The Bible teaches that, you know, heaven, going to heaven is not really the end of the world. <laughs> you know, we'll go to be with God in heaven. 
But then someday, God will reestablish a new heaven and a new earth at the end of the times. And that is the goal towards which creation is moving when God will complete the project began in Genesis 1 and 2 by establishing a new heaven and a new earth where God will live among us. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, will live among us and we will have resurrected bodies. The scriptures are replete with this teaching. Even in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, Thy, will, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He doesn't say on heaven as it is in earth, but thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look, for example, at Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, if you can find it in your Bible app or whatever, okay? Starting with the 16th verse, and I could give you lots of texts about this, but Romans 8, 16. Now, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What does it mean to be an heir? It means you get the property, right? If you're the heir, you get the property. What's the property? Well, it's the earth, right? If indeed we share in his suffering so that we may share also in his glory. Now, he says in verse 18, speaking of suffering, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation, the creation, get this, waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope, there's our word, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our what? Our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is, not, is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he has already had? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. What is this scripture teaching? It's saying that God's plan for redemption involves the creation as well. That the creation has been put under this curse because of our sin. And it's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. What's that mean? It's waiting for us to be resurrected to the new life so that we can care for the new creation the way that God intended for it to be. I know this is a mystery, and it goes far beyond our imagination. But it's what the Bible teaches. And what churches have taught from the first day until now, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. You see, when evil came into the world, there was a curse put upon the woman. There was a curse put on the man. There was a curse put on the serpent. There was a curse put on creation. You know, the toil of your earth and the dust, thorns and thistles will grow. Someday that curse will be reversed, already has been reversed in the resurrection of Jesus. And it will be ultimately. You see, Jesus conquered death not by, okay, Jesus conquered death not simply by having his spirit survive death, but by having his spirit be united with a resurrected body. We will conquer death not simply by having our spirit 
survive death, but by having an incorruptible body. I don't have this text written in your thing, but, but, uh, but anyway, you, so you see, creation is, is waiting for us to, uh, uh, to, be, uh, res- uh, to be revealed so that creation can be liberated from, I mean, look at the ways we abuse creation. You know, there's some who worship creation and there are others who treat creation like a bank to get money out of or like a trash can to throw stuff into. We're called to care for creation. Yes, our dogs and animals too. Will there be dogs in heaven? Why not? I don't know. Read the Chronicles of Narnia, all seven books. All seven books. It'll take you seven hours to read seven. Have you read them yet? It's on your list. And in the seventh book, The Last Battle, Oh, it's beautiful. It'll make you weep if you read it carefully. As we see Narnia remade into new Narnia in the animals. Yeah, talking animals. Uh, I'm not saying that. So preach the gospel to Cooper. The animals are renewed in this great creation, more vivid, more beautiful, more large, more expansive, more weighty, more glorious, more real than old Narnia. That's what the Bible teaches to us. And we will inhabit that new place. Now, does that get you excited a little bit? Now, some of you think, I don't know, is he telling me some heresy? Is he telling me something not true? Well, I don't know about the animals, but everything else I know for sure. And trust me, I am not telling you some heresy. You're not going to be a disembodied spirit. A disembodied spirit can't even sing. You need vocal cords to sing, right? You're going to be a resurrected body. And a body needs a place. And that will be the new earth. And I don't know. Maybe it's kind of like this. In about 1980 or so, I remember living as a, as a college student in California when Mount St. Helens blew up. Some of you, no, only a couple of us are old enough to remember that. 1980, I forget, that predates most of you. You were in Washington? Oh my goodness, well, I want to talk to you. Well, I was in California, Southern California, which is a long ways away from there. And it was a mess in California at our school. You coughed and choked, and there was stuff all over the cars everywhere. And, uh, and the whole mountain kind of blew up. Now, I have not been there, but I have read and been told that if you go to Mount St. Helens today, have you been there recently at all? You will see. Is it gone? No. It's already begun to come back. It was destroyed, but it's being made new. God has built that kind of quality even into this creation. So I kind of think, yeah, it will, the earth will be purged. It will be cleaned up. It will be fixed. It will be made new. It will be better. But we're going to live somewhere, and Jesus will live with us. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of exciting to me because I actually like this place. Don't you? Take away sin, take away problems, take away selfishness, take away 
taxes, or whatever. And it'd be a pretty great place. Well, you're in luck. Because the new heaven will be more like that. The new earth and heaven will be more like that than you fly on a cloud singing a song for ad nauseum. Now, even I would get tired of that, you know. That's our hope. That's why no matter what happens to you, you can rejoice. No matter what kind of illness takes you, what kind of death you or loved ones face, it's not the end. Jesus died, but he was raised from the dead. Listen to what 1 Corinthians says in verse, chapter 15 and verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been, has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? He's saying, you guys all believe, he's writing to a church, he said, you guys all believe Jesus was raised from the dead. Well, how can you say that you're not going to be raised from the dead? All right? Verse 13, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we're found to be false witnesses about God. Um, for we have testified that he raised Christ from the dead, but, he, but if he did not raise from the dead, the dead are not raised. Who's the dead? That's you and me when we die. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has been indeed raised from the dead. The first fruits, he's the first, we're the last, right? Of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in its turn, Christ the firstfruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And at the end of that chapter, he says, this corruptible must put on incorruption. Your corruptible body will be given a new body. Well, that's our hope. And look at what First uh, Ephesians chapter 1 has to say. I said all that sort of to get me to this Ephesians chapter 1 text, which Ashley read for us, because I wanted you to see it now in a bigger picture. In this opening doxology, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9, And he, that is God, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. See, heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. It's not the obliteration of the earth. It's the resurrection of the earth under the lordship of Christ. And then we are rulers of the earth and stewards of this earth in the way that God intended to it, a glorified earth. Okay, um, and uh, have, verse uh, 14, 13 and a half, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What's our inheritance? It's the earth, which belongs to God. 
That's why he says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. I keep asking God. In verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I have been trying to tell you in these last 20 minutes the hope to which he has called you. Yes, you've been forgiven for your sins. Yes, you know, you're going to be with Jesus. But it's even better than that. You're going to live with him, with other resurrected human beings on a glorious new earth. And in my view, we will sort of, this may not be exact, we, you know, it's all beyond imagination. So you have to take some of this with a grain of salt. So it, it's, it seems to me that what we will do is start over on this whole project. And we will, we will do stuff. The only guy that will be out of a job in the new earth is me, the preacher. You who work as teachers, you who work installing sound equipment, you who work, I don't know, maybe the dentist will be out of a job too because maybe the teeth will never decay. Who knows? <laughs> you know? uh, but we'll have stuff to do. Isn't that great? I don't know what it is, but we'll have stuff to do. All right. And uh, so I want you to know the hope to which he's called to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us to believe. Going on, it says, and God placed all things under Jesus, all things under his feet. That includes the earth as well. And appointed him to be head over everything and for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Well, what difference does it make? Oh, my goodness, I'm out of time. What difference does it make? It makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. Let's imagine for the moment that you are in the 1942 and you are a Jew taken into the concentration camp. And before you get taken to the concentration camp, you watch as your whole family is slaughtered by the German soldiers. You're the last one. And you're in the concentration camp. And you live there. And you're going to be there till the end of the war. Let's imagine that there's another person next to you. He's going to the same concentration camp. But just before he got taken, he was able to, to carry his family away and he knows they're waiting for him in Switzerland. Two people in the same concentration camp. Two people of the same health. Two people who experience the same things. Which one survives and why? You know the answer, don't you? The one who knows he will see his family again. The one whose family is lost, where is his hope? You see, we are creatures of hope. We look for meaning in everything. And the good story about this is that no matter how bad the story is, there's always hope on the other side for us, a real hope. This is the message. When, the, when John wrote to those first century Christians at the end of the first century when he was an old man in the book of Revelation, just before the time when Domitian began real serious persecution of Christians, when some of them were impaled on poles, and some were crucified, and some were burned alive, and some were cast before the lions. He needed to encourage these Christians. And what did he do? He wrote the book of Revelation, which says, don't worry. 
No matter what happens, there will be a new heaven and new earth. You will survive this. Hope makes a difference. Or let's take another example. Let's say that you're sitting in a little dingy room and you're given a job. You're going to put a widget on a wadget. You ever put a widget on a wadget? It's not very much fun. You just do it over and over and over again. And person A is told that if he does it faithfully for one year, he will be paid $20,000 for that. Person B is told that if he does it faithfully for one year, he'll be paid $2 million for that. Who's going to have more fun putting widgets on wadgets? Why? Because we are creatures of hope. So the Bible message is this. You're not, you're not going to just expire into nothingness and have the universe blow up or freeze up or close up. You're not going to spend eternity <laughs> enjoying sexual pleasures at the, to take advantage of other people in some sensual paradise. You're not going to spend eternity just in nirvana, nothingness, oneness, enlightenment, enlightenment, the absence of any attachment or desire. You're not even going to spend eternity simply as a spirit floating in a disembodied universe. You're going to spend eternity with loved ones and maybe pets, who knows, living in the new heaven and the new earth with Jesus himself among you, a place that makes the most beautiful place you see today seem pale and shadowy by comparison. That's what it means to be people of hope. So put that widget on that wadget and know it's going to be okay. Face that death, that difficulty, that financial trouble, that everything, and know it's going to be okay. How do we know? Because Christ is raised from the dead. Let's have prayer. Father, thank you so much for this vision which goes so far beyond what we imagine. We can't even imagine it. But help us to place our hope in you. Help us to be people of hope in a world looking to grasp every pleasure out of this moment because they don't know that there's more moments to come. And thank you that Jesus, who we worship, went to the cross for us, died our death to give us his life, and that we can look forward to spending eternity with a body, with him, in a place which he has prepared for us. In Christ's name.